When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Sometimes it's the normal, sometimes it's the abnormal, and sometimes it's the paranormal. Regardless, it's all beyond reality. Welcome to the program, everyone. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thanks for being here. Great show for you tonight. We've got one of our great friends and a tremendous paranormal personality Jeff Belanger will be joining us to talk about New England legends and folklore. We've had Jeff on a number of times. We tend to have a kind of a standing appointment with him when we get near the holiday season, get near Christmas, and we talk about Christmas and holiday legends and folklore like Krampus and Belschnickel and I don't know. I can't remember them all, but there's some good ones there. And uh, we always have a great time talking about that with him. Tonight, it'll be a little bit different because we're going to be talking about the topic that he does a podcast, a weekly podcast on called New England Legends. There are a lot of legends folklore, whether they're ghost stories cryptid stories witch stories uh there's just ufo stories there's a lot of stuff new england is a real hotbed for this kind of thing and um with good reason so we'll talk to jeff about that in a few minutes um and and coming up before we actually go to the break too we're going to also bring in sherry from florida sherry called the program late last week when we were talking with jc nova we were talking about the murder of sharon's tate and her friends by the Manson family members. And Sharon called the program very, very late with what I thought was quite a bombshell. And we didn't have enough time to thoroughly talk to her. So we're going to have her on the program before we go to break here and before we bring Jeff Belanger into the show. And just get her story because, uh, you know, we don't have a real way to verify it, but I thought it was interesting enough that... um, you know, and she sounds credible enough that uh, it's worth hearing the whole story. So we'll talk to her uh, before we go to break. Uh, one other thing I want to mention, too, because I've kind of got hooked on this thing. Um, just, you know, kudos out to the History Channel for this series that they've produced. There's a number of different titles. It's uh, The Men Who Built America or Men Who Made America, uh, The Cars That Made America, The Food That Made America or Built America, whatever it is. Uh, I happened to catch some over the weekend, and I got kind of hooked on it. So I started uh, binge-watching it on demand. And I'm really, really impressed with uh, the the production value, the um, depth of the history involved, and the way it presents some pretty amazing American stories. Uh, stories of um, industrialists, entrepreneurs, people that failed over and over again and finally found the right formula and made it. It's really, really good. And I would recommend if anybody has any interest in history at all, or just curious about some of these things that we take for for, uh, granted here, Uh, names like Coca-Cola or Kellogg's or Ford, uh, any of those names and more. You'll uh, hear hear some pretty cool stories if you watch any of those programs. And they've been uh, kind of marathoning them, um, but they are on demand too if you have access to that. So pretty cool stuff. Anyway, um, let's see, that's going to do it for uh, this segment. Let's bring, let's get um, our First, I guess we'll call her a guest into the program, as she was called last week. Uh, Sherry, are you with us? Yes, I am. Sherry, thank you so much for making yourself available, because when we spoke to you last week, you know, it was kind of quick. We, I think we had like 90 seconds, if that. And you yeah, st- you had 90 seconds. <laughs> and you started telling us a story that was really amazing. So the first thing I want, I want to do is I want to remind people what the show was. We were talking about the 50th anniversary of the Manson murders of Sharon Tate, uh, and her and the and the uh, friends that she had staying at her house at the time, um, and then the following day, the Manson family murdered uh, the Labiancos. Um, you know, there was a series of murders that the Manson family ultimately was charged for, but it was it's a, it's a crime that uh, captured not only a lot of people's attention at the time, but it's kind of stuck with us. And fifty years later, we're still talking about it. But you came to us with a story that's a little more intimate and personal about Sharon Tate personally. 
set the stage for us. Tell us what you know what was happening and how how you even came about to have this story. Well, uh, my mom and her friend Catherine were into psychics and whatnot, and they got me to go. And uh, you know, I got involved in it. And uh, there were like weekly meetings and and uh, different programs that they'd put on. And you know, Chriswell uh, owned the building. So he, you know, he he pretty much could do anything he wanted. Now, and, uh, just well, let me just clarify. Huh? Let me clarify something for some people. Now, you said Chriswell. He was a famous uh, mind reader, psychic of like the fifties. Yeah, 50s. he was. He he did uh, predictions. Yes. Yeah, he did a lot of predictions. They were kind of bizarre predictions at times. Um, mm-hmm. But he was a real. He was a television television personality. And if anybody knows the uh, movie Plan Nine from Outer Space by the infamous director Ed Wood, Chriswell opens that film with a little monologue. Um, and yes, was he part does. of it. Yeah. So okay. So. So, go ahead. sorry to interrupt, but pick up the story there. Okay. Anyway, um, this was a this was a weeknight, uh, and uh, they were doing they were going to be doing psychometry, and so my mom and Catherine and I went, and uh, we were sitting there, and and you know everybody put something in the basket. And the basket went up on the little podium. Now, wait a second. Were you in a room with a bunch of people, like a group of yeah, people? Yeah, it was a room with a bunch of people. You, they were, other than the people you came with, you didn't know really who who else was in the room? No. no. I Well, I knew Maria, and uh, I knew who Joel Gray was, mm-hmm. and I knew who Chriswell was. And, okay. But there were a lot of strangers there as well. Okay. And so uh, Sharon Tate was uh, sitting uh, behind and off to the side of me. And uh, anyway, uh, Joel Gray had had go- had gone up first and pulled some items out of the basket and told people about themselves with it with their with their items that he that he had pulled out. And then uh, he got down, and then Maria said she was going to do it, so she got up and she was uh, picking up things. And she reached into the basket and she picked up an item and, and holding it in, in tight in her hand. You couldn't see what it was, and she said, "Don't go home." She turned pure pale white. She she clutched at her chest. She said, "It's dangerous. Don't go home. Don't go home. There's there's blood. It's, it's danger. Go anywhere else, but don't go home." And then she held held the ring up, and Sharon Tate says, "Oh, that's mine," and. Uh, she was laughing about the whole thing. Oh, wow. She says, oh, that sounds so dire. And, you know, giggle, 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 she and her friends that she had with her. Uh, and anyway, uh, a little while later, there was a break, and everybody, everybody was, you know, get a cup of coffee, go sit out on the porch. And I was sitting on the wall in the porch, and Sharon Tate and her friend came out, and they sat down. And I said, look, if Maria has told you something, Please take it seriously. Do what she says. Don't go home. And she says, "Oh, that's silly." You know, she says this is all phony stuff. Uh-huh. And I said, "Oh no, my dear." I said, "This woman has told me told me things over the past year, and, and I believe everything she says." And uh, anyway, uh, you know, like I said, Sharon Tate laughed it off, and we all went back inside. Uh, Chriswell did did some predictions, and then uh, some other things happened. I don't, I don't even remember the rest of that evening, but you know it was it was pretty normal stuff. And uh, anyway, uh, the few days, a couple days later, uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, walking into the living room, and, and they say, you know, Sharon Tate's body found. Uh, what? Wow. <laughs> what? Who's who's uh, and so you know I, I stop and I look at the t- TV screen and then I see her face and I it, and like I said I didn't know Sharon Tate I didn't know I had never seen her I, I don't remember seeing her before and uh, I said oh my God she went home didn't she <laughs> so, so the first time you, first time you made the connection is when you saw the, her picture well, in the media on reports. the paper I mean on the on the TV yeah. yeah. And then you recognize that was the girl that you saw in the reading that day. Right. Mm-hmm. That must have been chilling to you. 
A little bit, yeah. How, how much time had elapsed between that reading and, and, and the murders? I, I don't remember. A couple, three days, four days. So just a, just, I don't know. just a few days, really not Yeah, much just time a few days. Now. Have you told this story to anybody else? Um, uh, to friends. Um, but as far as to anybody like you, no. Uh-huh. Wow, wow. Well, um, it's really, it's really unbelievable to, to hear this. And um, I, I really thank you for sharing it with us. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of speechless because that, it says so much. And um, the fact that, that only a couple of days before her murder, she had a warning like that from a, uh, a member of the psychic community. Um, you know, it says a lot about a lot of things. Yes, well, like I said, uh, Maria Graciette told me a lot of things. And, uh, you know, she told me about my first marriage was going to end before the fourth year, uh, that I would have a short relationship, and then uh, I would end up getting married to uh, someone else, and they would be my life partner. And I just lost my husband in 2012. And she told me that... uh, we would move. She, she, I mean, this was way back when I'm still married to my ex. She, she told me <laughs> that I would move thousands of miles away from California and the house where I was going to end my life, you know, come to the end of my life right. in, would have four stone steps up to the front door. Guess what? <laughs> There's four stone steps up to my front door. Well, let's hope that end doesn't come anytime soon. Um, well, I hope not. I'm only 71. <laughs> All right, so you've got plenty of time. Uh, yeah, yeah I, you know, I'm not ready to go <laughs> Sherry, anytime soon. Sherry, I have to go here, but thank you. Thank you so much for sharing this story with us. Um, it, again, fascinating stuff, and um, it was a real pleasure to uh, to let you tell our audience about it and for you to share it with us. Thank you. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll have our guest, Jeff Belanger, on. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products. And all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark. Because you deserve to save too. Become a Shark and save with us. That is really a bombshell. The fact that Sharon Tate was in a psychic reading um, and got a warning of blood and danger and not to go home just a few days before the murder. Now, of course, we don't have any independent verification of this, but Sherry's story sounds very, very convincing, and um, I don't have any reason to disbelieve it. But welcome back. Uh, We've got a really terrific show planned for you tonight because one of our favorite people is going to be with us. Jeff Belanger is an author and a folklorist, also a podcast host. He's been on the show a bunch of times. We talk frequently about um, holiday or Christmas folklore, like Krampus, that kind of thing. He's been on a couple times talking about that. But he does so many other things. His website is his name, jeffbelanger.com, and his podcast is called New England Legends. Jeff, welcome back to Beyond Reality Radio. Hey, JV. Great to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always awesome to have you. Now, I've got so many questions, and I'm not <laughs> sure where to start. Um, but the first thing I'm going to ask you, have you watched any of that History Channel series, you know, series, uh, The Men Who Built America or The Food That Built America or any of that? So have you seen any of those? No, but I mean, that's that's they didn't invent that, of course. I mean, those those shows have been around a long time. I love it. I love when, when people tell stories that you take for granted, right? You, you look at something and you go, oh, yeah, well, yeah, it's just been there forever. But no, it wasn't there forever. Someone made it, you and know, and, and uh, I love that. I love hearing the backstory of something. So it really, sounds like something up my alley. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, and it also kind of helps us understand how legends are created, doesn't it? Sure. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny. I was, um, have you heard of a guy named Francis Galton? No, I have not. I don't mean to put you on the spot. No, but, it's okay. You know. I don't know. I don't know who that is. So I, I was. I just started looking into this guy recently. He uh, he's a he's a statistician from England, and in 1906 he was attending the West of England Fat Stock and Poultry Exhibition, as you do, right? Yeah, of course. And of course, you never miss it, right? And, so, uh, not one. 
<laughs> so uh, they had a contest that they probably still have at fairs around the United States, around the world. Uh, guess the weight of the ox, and you guess the weight and you win a prize, right? This still happens in county fairs. Or guess the number of jelly beans in a jar, sure. right? right? And so people would write down their guesses, and he was intrigued. Uh, there were 787 guesses on the weight of this particular ox. And so he said, can I have all those slips of paper? I want to go home and study the, study the data. And no one got the right number, by the way. No one, no one got it right. And the, the numbers varied widely, you know, from a little kid that said 300 pounds to someone else who said 5,000 pounds, you know, all across the board. He took all 787 cards, and he took all the numbers, and he took the average of all of them. And the average of all of them was 1,197 pounds. The actual weight of the ox was 1,198 pounds. Wow. And so he came up with this theory, which is called the wisdom of the crowds. It's, it's used in, uh, if you've ever been on something like, I don't know, social media, right? I mean, you've got people are using his ideas to, uh, you, you know, to, 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 from everything from advertising and, and everything in between. I take it to look at uh, the way we look at legends, right? So a legend exists. You walk into a town, I'm like, oh, I heard about this, this strange uh, monster that's said to be lurking behind that house. And the reason you know about it is because the wisdom of the crowd, because tons of people in that community have told the story over and over, and everybody tells it a little different way. But there's some collective truth in it, you know? And, 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 and when you look at it in a, in a bigger picture, you actually find that it's around, it's still here, because we need it in some way and because there's some truth in it. Otherwise, we, we don't like to tell lies when we know they're lies. That's, that makes most of us uncomfortable. Um, but there's some truth in it, and so we share that. And so anyway, I'm, I'm starting to study this, this guy who just wanted to know how much an ox weighed. Wow. <laughs> and I just think that there's, there's some relevance about how, um, you know the old expression, right? There's three sides to every story, right. my side, your side, and, and the, the truth. truth. That's right. I think I think Francis Galton understood that. He understood that his his observations alone weren't enough. Yours alone weren't enough. But all of us together, uh, suddenly you can really get a clear picture. And that's that's what I'm trying to do with legends and stories and haunts and ghosts and monsters and aliens and everything in between. What have you been up to since you were on the program last? I think you were here early December last time. We were talking about Krampus and stuff. What do you mean? What's oh, been going, yeah. Yeah. What's been going on since? Well, the podcast, as you mentioned, is every single week. Um, in fact, Thursday will be our two-year anniversary. We've gone 104 weeks without missing a single one. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, so it's a new story every week. And uh, for people who don't know, it's, it's, they're short. These podcasts are about 10 to 12 minutes. They're, they're scripted. We've got voice actors and sound effects. Uh, we've had two guests in 104 episodes because you know how guests can screw up a show, right? <laughs> You know, you know what I'm saying? I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> so, you don't, so you don't want to hang hosts, in on though. that. So can hosts, though. <laughs> so, so we just tell a story every week. We've been having a lot of fun with it. Um, the, the TV show, which is on Amazon Prime and PBS, we've got a, a new episode coming out uh, in September, so I've been working on that. New lectures. Uh, I've uh, finished writing my book about my Mount Kilimanjaro experience, which, uh, you know, I don't have a published date yet, but working on that. And, uh, and I just got back from Machu Picchu in Peru. How's that? Oh, man, you just never stop. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's funny, man. Like, I'm fortunate that I get to chase my passion for, for my career. I'm just, I'm truly blessed to be able to do that. And, uh, and I love this stuff. I love finding stories, connecting with people. Um, just I, for me, like, I, you know, I, I've met various celebrities throughout my life. It's okay, but I get geeked out when I'm in front of, like, Machu Picchu. Yeah. You know, like, that's my celebrity. That's when I just lose it. I go, oh, my God, this is places I've seen my whole, you know, this is places I've seen my whole life in pictures and, and television shows and stuff like that. And, and to actually be there, uh, which was just a few weeks ago, so I'm still pretty high off it. Um, it's just, it's, it's like nothing else, man. And when you get to touch those stones, when you get to walk into old temples that are centuries old and, and just, you, you, your mind just wonders, like, what happened right here? What, what took place? Uh, why, why is it still here? You know, what happened to the, you know, to the Aztec people? All this stuff, it's just incredible. It was a, it was a real big adventure. You know, places like that, and I have not been to that specific spot, but I've been to others similar. Uh, they have a magical energy to them. Do you think that energy is an imprint of what happened there, or is it an energy that we create because of the, the nature of the place? 
I can tell you with Machu Picchu specifically, I'm going to say it's absolutely the, the energy that we create with the place, right? Because we have made it famous. Machu Picchu is not the, the most uh, uh, important site to the Inca people. It, it never was. It, the only reason it's so famous is because it had one road in. And when Spain invaded Peru and was, was taking over everything, they, they basically, the, uh, the Inca people destroyed the road so it would be hidden, and the, the Spanish never found it, so they didn't destroy it. Uh, the most important temple was this, this Temple of the Sun that's located in the city of Cusco, and I went there as well. Now, that had been, uh, it was completely covered in gold. Gold that, by the way, was just a decoration to the Incas, right. but to the Spaniards, they were like, whoa, right? You know, So they took all this gold, and they built this, this Catholic uh, you know, cathedral around this old temple and, and tried to kind of bring their gods in and replace the Inca gods and so on. That was the most important spiritual site, but it's mainly gone. I mean, there's a few walls and a few things you can see. Um, but, but people go there, and, and you, you, you first you see this church, which looks like a church. You go, okay, a church. Uh, but that's the most important site, yet it's not one that everyone knows by heart. It's not revered. But Machu Picchu is because it was made famous. It was made famous 100 years ago as this guy from Yale, Hiram Bingham, goes there and discovers the, the lost city of the Inca, which is really funny because he didn't totally discover it. He gets all the credit. Um, he was talking to local villages. He's like, I'm looking for old ruins of, of you know, the Inca people. And some 12-year-old boy was like, oh, yeah, right at the top of the mountain. I'll take you. I'll show you where it is. You know, just give me a sandwich or something. Yeah. And so this kid's like, I've been playing here for years. And, uh, and then Hiram Bingham walks in and goes, I've discovered the lost city of the Incas. It got famous. And Machu Picchu, by the way, isn't even the name of the city. We don't even know what the name of the city was to the Inca people. It's, it's lost. It's lost to time. Machu Picchu is the name of the mountain that overlooks the city. And so when, when he was told how to find it, he said, go to the mountain, which means old mountain. Go to Machu Picchu. Stand at the top. You can't miss it. Wow. And so that's the name that stuck. So we, so many people have come there. And I can tell you, being there, man, it's crowded. That, that is an ATM machine for a country, right? Like, oh, yeah. So many people go through there and go to Peru just to see it. Uh, that we have made it so famous, that we have made it more sacred than probably it ever was to the Inca people. Um, and, and that's the power of it, right? It's, the, it's really the power of celebrity, right? We've, we've created this place uh, and, and, and added our energy to it and, and made it so famous that people are drawn to it now, whereas they might not have been had that other temple in Cusco been preserved. You know, I, I've seen a um, an ad for another television program that airs. It's probably on History Channel. I've been watching um, this this miniseries, and uh, the statistic that we've only discovered ten percent of what ancient civilizations have left on this planet means we have ninety percent of these things to find. Um, does that excite you? Oh yeah, man! I love I love chasing a story, especially one that. Um, you thought you knew, but maybe there's a new angle on it, or one that you didn't know at all. And that's, man, that's what I try to do day in and day out. And, uh, you know, because there's something about, it's almost like archaeology, right? Like, there's archaeology where you're digging in the dirt, and then there's, there's like another kind where you're looking through folklore and old books and stories and saying, man... How come no one knows this one? How did this one get almost lost? Right. And then, and then, kind of retelling it and and realizing that uh, some of these stories are so relevant today. You know, um, my God, I, I just finished uh, for our, our next podcast. There's a a town in New Hampshire that's had uh, this old book where they chronicled all the the legends of witches. There were three different women in town accused of being witches. One of them was probably just kind of like wrong place, wrong time. But the other two. There was something curious going on. Now, this is 100 years after Salem, so it's not cool to just, you know, uh, hang witches anymore, right? You, you can't do that. But you can sure as hell accuse them. You can, you can whisper about them in town, and right. you can make their lives horrible. And you start to realize that in this culture, especially for women, if your husband died, if you didn't have children to take care of you, you became a ward of the town. And no one liked to take care of what, what they viewed as like a freeloader. And so they were often called old crows or old witches. And if people were scared of you, you got more of what you needed. So if someone thinks I'm a witch and I start dressing in black and looking the part and, and claiming to put a hex on you, get me more firewood. Okay, man, just yeah. no hexes, right? Right. <laughs> Get get me more uh, more food, more chickens for my for my dinner table. Um, the, you use that because you do what you got to do to survive. 
And if that's all that these people had was my witchy reputation, then that's what they're going to use. And it's it, 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 and then you say, well, geez, it's kind of sad that women couldn't own land back then. Women couldn't have a voice, couldn't vote. All they could do was, if they weren't a witch, they had to become one. And that's uh, that's kind of sad. And and you can look around at our society and say, boy, this stuff like that happens today. You know, I mean, not in the case of owning land, but we have our own witch hunts, we have our own stories and and rumor mills that that now spread on the internet, and and it's it's still around. We haven't changed all that much in centuries, which is, I don't know. Sometimes that that shakes you up a little bit. Is New England more prone to legends, folklore, these kinds of stories that you feature on the podcast than maybe some other parts of the country? I think I'd like to put it this way. If you look at a map of the United States, New England is kind of like the creepy attic. You know, like we're, we're up here in the corner. And, uh, and the thing about creepy attics is that uh, you save stuff there. You know, like I know right. in my attic, there's all kinds of boxes. I couldn't even tell you what's in some of them, but I must have them up there for some reason. And right. I must sleep a little better at night knowing I've got some of those old things up there kicking around. Should I need to go looking for them? And I think in New England, we save our old stuff. We don't tear down our old buildings. We preserve them. We, we have all these old sacred history books. We are so old-fashioned. You know, we, we don't let anything go. This is the attic. We, we store it all. And so I think for that reason, and plus we have, you know, a lot more, you know, a lot of the country was founded up in this corner, you right. know, and, and, then, and then spread. So I think we've held on to so much of that that uh, we, we just, we talk about more legends than other parts of the country. Not that other parts don't have plenty uh, to talk about. It's just we've held on to them more than, than other people would. You know, one of the things, uh, I'm also involved in the horror fan community, as you probably know, Jeff, and one of the things mm-hmm. we often talk about when we talk about horror fans, because there seems to be quite a concentration of people that love horror films in the Northeast, in New England in particular. And one of the sure. things that's been often deduced is that long, hard winters kind of lead people to down these darker paths of entertainment, if you will, <laughs> uh, because they're looking for some excitement, some adrenaline. They can't get outside like they might want to. Does that add to any of this these long short days during the winter uh you know night seems to last forever you know that must that must add to it some fashion of course it does and of course we gave you hp lovecraft we gave you stephen king i mean you know, right right uh, poe edgar Allan poe was born in boston right i mean that's this is uh some of the masters of the genre came from up here and so i think it's almost like this pure this this perfect storm of like Puritanism, these puritanical roots that that are still lingering for some crazy reason. They really are. I mean, we're so liberal up here, but also like strangely conservative. It's it's a it's a weird dichotomy. Um, you know, this this fear of of the devil, right? We've got streets and roads and <laughs> and towns yeah. like these reminders are everywhere. So I just feel like we're just so steeped in all those traditions that you can't escape it. And yeah, we embrace the eerie for sure. Um, so yeah, no, and, and those winters, those long winters, have got to have something to do with it. Because yeah, we're a hibernating culture. Uh, you know, in the winter, there's, boy, there's days sometimes you don't even go outside, and and you tell stories, and those stories are are what got you through. You know, we we talked, of course, around Christmas time about how sharing ghost stories was a hugely popular Christmas tradition right. for many, many years. It's, we've only lost it in the last few decades, really. Um, but, you know, maybe with Krampus, maybe we're, maybe we're bringing it back. I have hope. <laughs> but uh, but at the same time, yeah, man, this is a, that's a time to, to storytell, and that's a time to get your spine tingled and, and talk about that stuff. When you are putting together topics for the podcast... Uh, where are you? What's your source material generally? Is it is it is it people contacting you with stories, or do you are you out looking for them? Yeah, well, at this point, what's great is we've been doing it long enough that um, someone will be like, "Hey, I just discovered your podcast. I can't believe you've never written about Glastonbury's Gloacus." And I'm like, "What the hell is that?" Right? So you start looking, and uh, this is one we did a few weeks ago. And there's this strange monster that was lurking in Glastonbury, Connecticut, um, back in 1939, and it started. By, someone saw a strange creature that they didn't recognize. Dark black, it moved, you know, almost like oil, but too big to be a dog and whatever. And, and a local newspaper uh, wrote about it and said, hey, you should, farmers should be aware that some animals are, are getting uh, mutilated and just, just be on the lookout. There's, there's some creature that, that's lurking out there. And then uh, the Hartford Current newspaper um, 
said, well, geez, this, this could be more interesting. And a stringer started writing a, a little more sensational story that this, this, this creature's got the head, head of a lion, you know, and, or the body of a lion and the head of a dog, and it's got a horn, and, and it's been sighted here and here, and they started putting out maps, and suddenly everyone's coming forward with these sightings, and the creature's getting bigger, and it's changing. And this is all in the span of a couple of weeks, by the way. Wow. We're not talking years or decades or generations, just weeks. And then the maps are up there, and then hundreds of people are out there literally hunting this thing. And then uh, advertisers in the paper start putting up ads featuring the what they came to be called the, the cloacus, which uh, sounds very like Latin and scientific. And for a little while, they were saying, like, yeah, no, a scientist has identified this as the cloacus. But it was actually an editor at the Hartford Current that said it stands for Glastonbury, Wacky, and Us. <laughs> and so this creature's got a name. It's got You've got the papers reporting every day on sightings of it. And, and locals have all seen it, and they had the Glowacus ball, and advertisers are using it, and it just blew up into something huge. And then everybody sort of, like, let it die down after about six months. And then a few years later, there's another sighting of a strange creature uh, a, a few towns south of, of Glastonbury, and suddenly it all gets stirred up again. And you go, man, what is that? And they describe something that if you get back to the earliest parts of it, um, looked like a puma or, or a jet black mountain lion. And you do some looking, and well, pumas don't belong in New England. And, and mountain lions, there's never been a case of a, a black one. Right, they're, they're denied to exist. They're, they're, they're right. they don't yeah, exist. They, 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 scientists accept the possibility that one could be melanistic or black. Mm-hmm. However, one's never been seen. And mountain lions do get down in Connecticut. That happens even today. So suddenly this, this story, it's like, well, then maybe it's some escaped group, zoo creature, or maybe it's this or maybe it's that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it's, it had a name. And it was so covered in the newspapers that you can go through and find it. You can search the newspaper archives, and you can see all these descriptions and all these ads. And I love how the whole thing comes together. And there it is. Like, this is a sliver in time uh, of what this, this town was going through. And, and so I love that. I love when you can find something to kind of back it up. So the story lingers because someone's like, hey, have you heard about this? And then you can go back and look, and then you, you find a way to tell the story. And that's, that's really what I'm about It's just kind of like taking a glimpse back uh, and, and trying to find out how we got to here, how we got to right now. How did we get to the point where, you know, um, certain towns have got this reputation for something weird or, or who built this, this strange monument or, or, or what have you. There's always a backstory, and sometimes, especially in the paranormal, I think people get pretty lazy to not look into it, mm-hmm. you know, because the answers are there. And sometimes the digging, it's, it's, it's not like you have to spend years of your life. Sometimes it's a few Google searches, right. you know, <laughs> where you can, you can find some answers. But some people are, are, are just content, I guess, to just, just go with the story and, and, uh, and leave it at that. But I've always been one that wanted to get behind it, you know, to go back and, and figure out how we got to right here. And then, but actually, then you find there's actually a lot of truth in it. Um, where can people listen to the podcast? Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, or our website, OurNewEnglandLegends.com. Um, we've uh, made sure it's pretty much up there everywhere. And w- when folks go to listen for the first time, do you recommend they start anywhere in particular? Maybe find one that appeals to them, or what do you think? Yeah, no, I, I, I always think like our, our best ones are our most recent. You know, um, I, I kind of... Get, I cringe when people go way back to the first couple because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, we got so much better. You know, know, we right. got better at everything, production and storytelling and everything. So, yeah, go grab one that interests you. I mean, we cover ghost stories, ghost, weird history, uh, aliens, UFOs, any kind of story that's that's taken root somewhere in New England. And every episode is a, a different state, a different story. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thank you for being here tonight. We're talking with Jeff Belanger about his podcast, New England Legends. Of course, Jeff also has many books to his credit. His website is jeffbelanger.com. You can find out more about his appearances, his work, his books, um, and everything he's working on, which is a variety of things all of the time. In fact, Jeff, you've written and talked about ghosts, cryptids, legends, folklore, and more. Do you have a favorite amongst those topics? Are they all equally fascinating to you? <laughs> I got to tell you, JV, all I heard for the last minute was a solid beep. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so whatever you said, I didn't hear it. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, no problem. I will repeat it. Um, you've written about uh, ghosts, cryptids, um, folklore, yeah. legends, uh, UFOs. Any one of those topics uh, more fascinating the other than the other to you? 
I, you know, I started with ghosts, and I think it's kind of my, my come to, you know, the thing I come back to most often, because I'm a history buff. I love, uh, I love the stories of our past, and so ghosts just kind of obviously have a connection there. And to me, it also touches on a, a more primal topic. You know, when you're talking about ghosts, you're talking about life after death. And what does that mean? And what is death? You know, we, we still don't have a really clear understanding of it. I mean, uh, you, you know, there's clinical definitions of, you know, brainwaves cease functioning, your heart rate stops, stuff like that. But then what does it really mean? You know, where do we go? Uh, I was raised Catholic, and so I, I have that as part of my baggage. There's, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, but, I, but I have my own questions about it. And I've had a few experiences over, you know, 20-plus years of doing this now where you, you see something that you can't explain with any other word other than ghost, and suddenly you go, huh, what does that mean? Right. You know, what, what, what does that mean for me? I mean, forget, you don't even have to believe me, right? It's, it's okay if you don't believe that, that I saw what I think I saw. It was my experience, and it changed me. And I think when people go through these things, whether it's a UFO encounter or a cryptid encounter or, or a ghost or whatever, uh, it changes you in some way. And it taps into this really primal part of the human experience, that part of us that has to ask these really huge questions. And so for me, like, the, the, the ghost stuff is the most intriguing. Like, I don't think I'll ever be an alien, you know? I don't think I'll ever be a cryptid, but I may damn well become a ghost one day, <laughs> you know? <Right>. Like, <laughs> that's, that could be my own possible future. So that one, that one, comes back uh, more often than the others. The answer to this question is pro probably part of your screening process when you decide whether or not to include a story on your podcast. But what makes up a good legend? I, I, is there a formula? Is there something that, that, that either you look for specifically or just makes a story or a legend, if you will, uh, remain in the, uh, at least in the regional uh, consciousness, if not the entire public consciousness? Yeah, first of all, there has to be some element of truth in it. Like, there has to be something that sounds, uh, at least that it could be true, right? If it's too way out there, if I'm just like, you know, hey, JV, the, the ghost of Elvis is dancing on top of a UFO in my backyard right now, you'd be like, yeah, dude, that's nuts, <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's too crazy, right? right? Yeah. Uh, um, but, but if it's something that sounds plausible enough for you, like, I don't think that's necessarily true, but there's some little piece of doubt inside of me. That's that's where legends live, you know. This this thing that um, maybe you know, if you you said the train, the ghost train comes at midnight on on August twenty eighth every year because that's the year of the accident. Hmm. So theoretically, I could go there at midnight on August twenty eighth, and I would potentially see this thing, right? Like you've got a, you've got enough specifics, you've got something about it that that rings as at least possibly true. And for me, once I start digging, if I find that it's, it's got some, some meat on the bones, if there's newspaper articles that have been written about it maybe long ago, or, or if we're talking about a historic figure that actually did live in the town or whatever, suddenly, you know, the, the case gets built bigger and bigger. And then I just start looking for, like, at what point does it make the leap from true historical person to you know, strange legend that, you know, is still being talked about and doesn't quite go away. And, of course, some of these legends, they get made into horror movies. They, get, they inspire songs and books and poems and, you know, every other manner of art, and, and, uh, and, and they're part of our, our everyday lives. You um in in researching for these topics when you're um whether you're doing them for a book or you're you're going to include them in the podcast, uh, you talk to people who are either witnesses or have firsthand accounts of some of these stories. You ever see fear in any of their eyes? Yeah, that's you know I started in all this as a newspaper reporter. Then and when you interview enough people, and you know you interview people all the time, right, for your radio show and and, and your work, and and I do too, and. You get a sense sometimes when someone's just kind of full of it or just delusional or when they've really been shaken by something that they've experienced. And that, to me, is really compelling. You know, when, when you see, like, when someone says to you, look, I don't know what happens after we die. I don't know about life after death, but I do know I saw this thing, and I'll never forget it. And they start telling you about what they experienced, and you can see their whole body language changes. And and sometimes, you know, they it's it's not even... Uh, they're not looking for notoriety. Uh, when someone says to me, like, look, I don't want to be on TV. I don't want to be in any of your books. I don't, I don't want to, I just want to tell you what happened. It, you know, it's funny. Yeah. Part of me is like, oh, now you have my full attention. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, in many cases, not, they're looking for peace of mind. 
Right. Yeah, exactly. Or, or just just let me tell it. Let me just get it off my right. chest to someone who, I mean, you look into this weird stuff, so you can't possibly think I'm crazy. Just tell me you've heard something like that before. And you go, yeah, I have. I mean, you're not the only person to have an experience like this. And and that's that's enough sometimes, just the sharing of it. And that's what we do. I mean, that's what we do about uh, all of our human experiences, right? When you have a bad day, isn't there someone you want to tell about it? You know, I mean, just just a bad work day. You just want to come home and just tell someone, just get it off your chest. Does blaming someone equal telling them? Because I always look for someone to blame. (laughs) It's just like that. Yeah, it's like that, but different. (laughs) It's not as destructive. (laughs) You must have have, um, some favorites of uh, these legends that you've talked about on the podcast over you said 104 yeah. continuous episodes. Um, give us one of your favorites. I'm gonna, I'll tell you one that's going to come out on Thursday, because this has just blown my mind. So there's this story about this immortal mad scientist of Malden, Massachusetts. Uh, the, 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 the wording alone is great, right? Yeah. And it, it's this guy, uh, and, and the story is so specific, right? There's, there's this guy named Ephraim Gray, and he died in 1850. And before he died, there was all these strange experiments going on in his house. And he was reclusive. He didn't like to go around town. He, uh, when he was around town, people might greet him, but he would just keep his head down and just grunt at, at the most. And uh, the, the strange uh, smoke would come out of his house, the horrible smelling stench. He was doing some kind of experiments, and he never got married, never had kids, lived with just his manservant in this house. So he dies in 1850, and the manservant comes out and says, look, I can now tell you what he was up to. He was tinkering with uh, elixirs that would give him immortal life, make him live forever. And Father Time just kind of caught up with him, and he died before he was able to perfect it. I was given orders to bury him uh, in a crypt today. No funeral service, no embalming, no nothing. He's got he's to go directly to the cemetery right now, and then the manservant would inherit the, the house and everything else. So the manservant does this, puts him in the, the crypt in, in, uh, in, in Malden's cemetery in the center of town. And the story about his, his elixirs uh, never stops circulating. So just 20 years later, in 1870, the story goes, a group of students from Harvard, you've heard of Harvard, <laughs> you know, sure. that one, mm-hmm. uh, these medical students, they hear about this and they go, they want to check it out. So in the middle of the night, they go sneaking into the graveyard and they open the crypt and they open the casket and they look down and they say, my God, Ephraim Gray looks like he's been in this this box like 20 minutes, let alone 20 years. He's, he's perfectly preserved. He's, there's no, you know, nothing, no decomposition at all. And satisfied that he must have been onto something, they say, they closed up the, the crypt and walked out of there. In 1900, the town of Malden is now really growing uh, in, from a, you know, a few thousand people to 30,000 people. It's becoming a suburb of Boston. And uh, they're going to need to make room for more roads and things. So they go through, and they're going to have to take out the cemetery. And as they're excavating and removing graves, they get to Ephraim Gray's crypt, and they open it, and it's empty. It's totally gone. And they say, whoa, this is crazy, right? The guy's gone. Now, many skeptics immediately said, those Harvard kids, I bet they took the body uh, took it back, did some experiments, and and wanted to figure out why he hadn't decomposed at all. They probably stole his body, and sure, that may indeed be a possibility. But other people said, no, no. I think his immortal life elixir worked. And Ephraim Gray one day just got up out of his crypt and walked out of the cemetery and just blended back into life. And so there's so many specifics there, right? You've got an Ephraim Gray. This isn't like. John Smith or something, right? This is a specific name. Right. And so I go looking, and there's no Ephraim Gray in the graveyards. There's no Ephraim Gray in town records. I found some Gray family members. I even found some people named Ephraim, but not an Ephraim Gray. And so I started to pull the search out a little bit, and I'm going through, like, ancestry and stuff like that, because I'm like, how does this story get to be? It first shows up in, like, the 1950s in an Edward R. Snow book about strange legends in New England. But where did he find it, you know? And so I'm looking through Ancestry, and suddenly, uh, in the town of Essex, Massachusetts, which is about 20 miles northeast of, uh, of Malden, I find an Ephraim A. Gray. And there he is. And, and I'm looking through the records, and it said in 1850 he was a shoemaker, and shoemakers would use, like, chemicals and sure. tanning things, you know, to yeah. preserve the shoes. So he's a shoemaker. Um, he was born in uh, 1827 in New York State. And then they showed, uh, like, his life, and it said, you know, 1827 hyphen, (laughs) 
<laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, no way! <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Wow. Now, that means either there's just no record of his death that anyone ever bothered to put into the official records, or, I don't know, man. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or it means that dude's still walking around. <laughs> the, um, and I love that. Yeah, the, you know when when you when you t- tell a story like that, and you and you start pulling um, you know names, and you can you can research to the point where you find the name in in the record somewhere. I mean, that is an aha moment. It is, and 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 no one had ever bothered to look further out. Everyone just looked in the town and said, "There's no Ephraim Gray. This is just a made up story." But it's a good one. And and like, why? How did you get this town, this name, all this stuff? Um, and I still don't know how those details came to be associated with Malden. But damn, if I didn't find an Ephraim Gray just twenty miles away uh, at the same, you know, at the yeah. right time period, yeah. and and suddenly you just go, whoa. There's suddenly, you know, sometimes when there's smoke, there's fire. Not always, right, right. but some, sometimes there is. And uh, and that's, for me, just um, it's just an exciting piece to the puzzle, just mm-hmm. trying to figure out, like, how is this story around? And and we love the idea, right? We love the idea of, of immortality, sure. that there could be this guy almost 200 years old just wandering around going, yeah, I just kept tinkering with these elixirs and drank one, you know, <laughs> and, and here I am. Uh, Jeff, short segment here, but I want to spend just a minute talking about your uh, your work with Ghost Adventures. You spend a lot of time working with uh, Zach and crew. You uh, write for the program, been on the program. Um, that must be a lot of fun for you. Yeah, it's been uh, since episode one. Uh, I've been doing that, and, and what was supposed to just be eight episodes has turned into you know seventeen seasons, <laughs> hundreds of episodes, miniseries, and and so on. It's become uh, quite a phenomenon. So yeah, it's it's been great working with those guys, um, doing the same thing. You know, uh, f- getting the history of the location, finding the witnesses to to share their stories and getting those guys prepped as they can be, uh, knowing what happened where before they go into a haunt. Now, did I just read that Zach bought uh, a house that was somehow associated with the Sharon Tate Manson um, murders? Yeah, I, I, I don't know much about that yet. I, yeah. I, I wonder if we'll be filming there yeah. <laughs> after the closing, so I, I, I might be better uh, better answering that in, a, in another couple of months. But, yeah, he did buy I heard about that, too, but I probably heard about it from, like, the same website you did. He didn't tell me right, personally. Right, did, so. you, did you work on um, that the film he did? Uh, I think it was called Demon House. No, I didn't work on that. Um, nope, just just Ghost Adventures. That was a uh, that was a very uh, a notoriously haunted um, home, I believe, in Ohio, right? I think it was. Uh, or was, I think it was Indiana. Was it Indiana? Okay, yeah, 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 Midwest. yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, when you uh, set out to put put together an episode of the podcast, uh, mm-hmm. do you try to do you try to vary the topics in other words do you do you you go ghost one week then ufo one week or is it just whatever strikes you at the time yeah no it's so uh every every week we we rotate the state so there's six new england states and and they if you go through them we you know if it's connecticut this week it'll be massachusetts next and then rhode island and so on so that's that's one part of it but yeah i also want to show a diversity in the stories sometimes it's just uh you know a legend can be a real verifiable thing, right? A legend sure. can be a living person. You know, I mean, we can think of, of sports uh, God, Tom Brady, right? Come on. That's a that's a legend. Sure, right. <laughs> I mean, he, he is. He's, he truly is. Absolutely. And, uh, you, you could, I mean, it, it, a legend means that the story is bigger than the person himself. And, and you can say he's just a guy, but if you're some rookie defensive, you know, uh, defensive end facing down Tom Brady for the first time, you're scared before the ball's even snapped. You're yeah. like, man, he's going to make me look like a fool. And then he does. <laughs> That's how strong the legend is, right? So, uh, so, so some legends are just historical. And I, and I love that stuff, just uncovering nuggets that maybe you don't know the whole story to. Um, but but maybe you should like you know quick example on the side of uh, the old North Church in Boston, which you know one if by land two if by sea. The, sure, that's, yeah. that's that North Church. There's a there's a plaque that says um, this is commemorating. Uh, it was like 1757 when John Childs gave public notice of his intention to fly from the steeple of Dr. Cutler's church and did it to the satisfaction of a great number of spectators. Fly in 1757. That's a long time before Kitty Hawk, but there it is in a plaque, you know, on the side of the church. And 
And not only did he do it, uh, Boston outlawed the practice afterwards. So he did it and then ruined it for the rest of us. Oh, wow. Uh, um, so uh, after doing a little more digging, I learned he was a rope flyer, uh, this medieval uh, like daredevil where they would tie a rope to a tall building, tie it really tight out at an angle, strap a board to their chest with a groove in it, get on that, that rope, and then, you know, slide down, uh, almost like a glider. So, um, but, but it was great, you know, this, and it was placed there back in like the 1920s when the whole country was going airplane crazy. Right. You know, every, airports and, you know, were, were, were popping up all over, and Boston wanted to put their own stamp on uh, on the industry and said, well, we had a guy flying here back in 1757. The um, Betty and Barney Hill story. Yeah. Um, I believe it's one of the only recognized cases of abduction um i'm trying to remember the details but there's a there's a monument in is it in new hampshire yeah it is right along route three i uh i took a selfie next to it <laughs> yeah i mean that is that is that a story you've talked about or have you had you had an, yeah. an opportunity to talk about any other abduction stories sure yeah no that um that is one that that we've covered and what i love about that sign in particular is that it's uh if you go all over new hampshire they have these uh historic marker signs and they're they're beautiful they're um uh, you know they're cast iron and and they're they're full color hand painted like they've got this you know the state seal on it and stuff like that and i i i did i took a picture right next to that that sign right on Route 3, right up the street from a gas station that's got a mural of uh, like a gray alien, you know, which is right. a little more campy. But um, when I looked at that sign and it said, you know, it was right here in this spot that the state sort of recognizes this event, this, this UFO abduction event. And the thing that made me laugh is I'm like, dude, New Hampshire state taxpayers paid for that sign. <laughs> <laughs> Right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to believe in aliens, but uh, their tax dollars paid for that. <laughs> Let's, let, and, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, and no, it's, it's, it's one of those cases, too. It's, uh, her dress is still, um, uh, God, I think it's, it's at one of the colleges in, um, in New Hampshire, and, and all the documentation, everything about it. Wow. Um, and this was a time, I think one of the most important parts of the case that, that people don't talk about enough is that Betty and Barney Hill were an interracial couple. Right, that's right. During a time when uh, it was illegal in many states, that's not right. New Hampshire. New Hampshire was mm -hmm. always cool with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is a couple that didn't necessarily want to draw a lot of attention to themselves, right? They were just happily married and doing their thing and didn't need the whole world looking at them and judging them for their, their marriage choice and things like that. And so to, to me, that actually adds a lot of credence to their story, right? Because this is a couple that would not want attention. Um, and yet they just, but they had a story to tell and they told it. And then it got out and then they kept telling it. And I, I respect them for it. Let's jump to our phone lines. This is John in Florida. Hey, John, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me back. Um, that doctoring immortal guy that you were talking about, Yes. I was listening to a podcast by Aaron Mankey called Lowell, and sure. he talked about that whole little story of yours, saying that those Harvard students decapitated him to, I guess, see what type of chemicals he was inhaling or using to live forever. And they actually took his head, and I guess they heard a noise from an undertaker, caretaker, or whoever it was, and dropped the head. Then a few years later, a homeless man went inside to gals the bad weather you guys have up there, saw it, and ran out as fast as he can, and I was just wondering if you heard anything about that. Yeah, Lore's a wonderful podcast, but he does make a lot of stuff up for the sake of a story. It's not necessarily historical, historically accurate. Um, so, yeah, I did not find anything about decapitations or otherwise, but as someone has pointed out, uh, if you if you did body snatch someone that's not something you'd want to document too well because it's a right. it's a felony right <laughs> right you know and, and it certainly was in 1870 it was a it was a felony then too so um 
yeah, who knows? A lot of those details are just going to be left unknown. John, thanks for the call. I mean, you had mentioned, uh, Jeff, that uh, you know some people felt that there was a possibility these students could have taken the body. I mean, that's that's sure. that's the mystery in all of these stories, isn't it? Of course, yeah. If if we knew for sure, uh, there's no there's no room for a legend to breathe. You know, I mean, if if you had a definitive answer, then then that's that. That um, you know that that's that's pretty much the end of it. Give us a ghost story that you featured. Oh boy, uh, there's been so many. Um, I think one of one of my favorite ones uh, is something that we we actually covered around Christmas time. It was um, uh, the ghost of Charles Dickens is is said to haunt a, a downtown um, Boston hotel where he stayed when he came over here for his his tour to to read a Christmas Carol and, and really introduce Christmas to America, right. like the, our modern idea of it. Yeah. And there's a mirror right on the second floor of the the, the Boston Omni Parker Hotel, and uh, it, there's a little plaque saying, you know, it was this mirror hung in the room where um, Charles Dickens stayed when he was, you know, in Boston doing a Christmas Carol. And some people claim that you can still see the the reflection of Charles Dickens in the mirror, and it's on the second floor on the mezzanine level of the hotel. And I went up there, and you know, you, you stare at it for a while because someone says you can see his reflection, you're at least going to try. Sure, right? of course you are. Uh, yeah, so um, I did not see his reflection, but at the same time, I love the fact that that's the mirror he would have practiced in front of. And this is a man who you really can't say enough about like all your modern ideas of Christmas like started in front of that mirror. And that's, that's kind of powerful. Yeah, and and, then, and that's absolutely true. I mean, uh, Christmas was not considered the occasion that it is now, and it really all started with the way he presented it. It, it did. I mean, he he turned it into what was just like a just another day uh, to something that was huge, a real time for giving and and for you know bosses being kind to their their employees and and so on. He he started so many notions that. Uh, that that we still carry today, and it's um, and it's powerful, and that's you know, and that all started with and that and my God, that's one of the greatest ghost stories ever told. That's right, right. that's right, Miss Carol. You um, you know, obviously your your podcast focuses on New England, but you've written and explored and investigated all over the country, if not the world. Yeah. Do you sure. find that there's some patterns? to uh, legends and lore by geography. In other words, every region has its X story or its Y story, you know, and and there's a lot of similarities between stories if you cross different regions. Yeah, and they travel too. I mean, uh, one of the things that's so great about these stories is even if you don't live in New England or whatever, you know, you you hear something and you go, wow, that sounds like something that happened near me. Right. Um, Because that's just how it is. Like, for example, Gravity Hill Legends. Uh, there's three in Massachusetts, and I know there's one in New Jersey, and the most famous one is in Texas. Gravity Hills are these uh, roads that appear to look uphill, and they say if you put your car in neutral, it will get pushed, uh, you know, seemingly pushed up a hill uh, against gravity um, out of the way. And usually there's a tragedy attached to the story. So there's, there's one in Texas uh, the, the specific town escapes me at the moment, but there's these train tracks. And uh, supposedly a, a school bus full of kids was hit by a train as it stalled on the tracks, and the kids all died. And if you put your car in neutral today right in front of those tracks, the car will be seemingly pushed up the hill over and past the tracks to safety. And if you want to test it, you can sprinkle talcum powder on your, your <laughs> trunk, all over your trunk of your car. And when, when it's over, you'll see all these little fingerprints uh, on the back of your car, and I've tried this. I've tried this at the at one in Massachusetts, and and it works. It's so spooky. And then, of course, you realize that all those many, many fingerprints yeah. you see on the back of your car <laughs> are yours. <laughs> it's, every time you shut your trunk, right, your little oil from your fingers gets gets That's on right. there. And when you put on the talcum powder, it, it, it they come out. And so, uh, but so it's neat when you go, oh my God, the, the fingerprints are there, right? Of course they are. They're yours. And uh, and and the the Gravity Hill thing seems to be it's just kind of an optical illusion. There's like a little bit of a dip in the road, so your car actually starts to roll a little bit, pick up a tiny bit of speed, and then it could even go up a hill a ways. And so when someone tells you the legend and you go there and try it and all those things happen, suddenly you have no reason to doubt it, even though it's just kind of like this uh, this confluence of, of strange things coming together. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter whether those were my handprints on the back of that or not. When you told that story, I got, I got chills down my spine. 
course. And, and then you look and you go, huh, no school bus full of kids was ever killed by a train right here. You know, like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, you, but, yeah, that's the thing is because cause we, need, we need to know that there, there's still mysteries in the world. And there are. There's a ton. Rest assured, everyone, right? There's a million mysteries that uh, we will never solve. Um, and and there's there's some strange comfort in that, but we still want to try to make sense of it when we hear these stories and and when we're, we're trying to figure out the world for ourselves, we we want to make some sense of it. So so we put a label, uh, and the label is a ghost or spirit or monster or cryptid or alien, whatever it is. We we have to fit it in some box because we're human, and that's what we do. You know, we um, you know, we've talked about uh, ghost adventures just uh, a few minutes ago. Um, there are a lot of paranormal television shows. Uh, do you think that the shows have helped people come to terms with maybe some of their own experiences? And do you think it makes them more more willing to tell stories like this? Well, I think one thing that that all of the shows, Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures, all of them, I think they they've all helped pull ghosts out of the closet. You know, um, in the 80s when we were growing up, right, I mean, we talked about it, but it was still something you more or less whispered about. Right. You know, you, you didn't talk about it around the office water cooler that, you know, you'd get fired. You'd, you'd worried about getting locked up. And today you can. And so for that, we should all be eternally grateful to all the shows um, because they've, they've made it mainstream and now it's, it's really okay to talk about it. That being said, of course, you know, TV is meant to entertain, so so some people might have a uh, you know a kind of a skewed perception on on how it really all works. I mean, you're watching a highlight reel when you watch a ghost show, right? right. Like this is this is days of investigating, many cameras, many angles, many hours, all brought down to just minutes of television, and um, so you're 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 kind of seeing the best of those moments, and so. Um, I think in, in some ways uh, it, it does frighten people that, that there are some, some dark things out there, um, and you just hope to God that they're not in your house, right? Um, uh, but but I do think that because we're out of the closet, we can talk about it more, and we can share these stories. And that that's a good thing. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. Well, I'm, I'm sure you're aware my co-host here has been off filming a, a program that's going to uh, debut in October called Ghost Nation. Jason, yeah. Steve, and Dave Tango will be on that program. And then, of course, later this month, what are we on, the 14th or so in a week, a week from tonight, um, I think it's a week from tonight, uh, Ghost Hunters returns to the air, a reboot when Grant Wilson is leading the team there. Um, so it's kind of some exciting times here in the paranormal uh, reality TV world. And not only that, and in, in, I know Jason's going to be on the Travel Channel, and um, and that's where Ghost Adventures is as well. And that's right. Travel Channel's got many, many new paranormal shows that are coming online in September and October. Uh, many, <laughs> and and I'm very curious to see um, how that that all shakes out. There's there's a lot of new programming that's coming up. It it certainly seems to be a time that it's. That it's that it's heating up. So <laughs> yeah, and travel. I mean, it, it surprises me a little bit because I mean, as the name implies, they're not a paranormal uh, channel per se, but they really uh, have taken an interest in paranormal programming and and put a lot behind it. They must believe in it. Yeah, they do, and I, I, you know, we'll see. I, I have no idea, but you know, I mean, these channels change their identity all the time. I mean, remember right, when the History yeah. Channel used to talk about history? Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? Or when MTV used to show music? You know, all yeah, those things, there yeah. used to be music on MTV. <laughs> Believe it or not, young <laughs> listeners, there was a time when uh, you saw music videos, um, and that's what that channel was for. So who knows? I, I'm, I'm excited. I, I think you know, the, the times are always changing, and that's the one thing you can count on. Um, shoot, we've watched this wax and wane just in the last 10 yeah, years, right? right. That, where there was tons of shows, then there was one or two, and now there's going to be tons again. So let's see where it goes. If somebody is sitting at home listening to the program and they say, oh, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the middle of uh, uh, Maine and uh, we have this great story, uh, Jeff needs to hear about it. How would they get a hold of you to do that? Yeah, our website uh, or my website, jeffbelanger.com or ournewenglandlegends.com. By all means, you can find ways to email me there or through social media. I love that. And I actually I started a spreadsheet. It's gotten to that point um, where we – I'm literally like all the – we get – we get an email like almost every other day. Say, have you heard of this? And I'm like, oh my, I love this. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I just, I put them all in the spreadsheet and we'll look into them. I mean, uh, there's no end in sight. We, we've done 104 stories so far and there's thousands upon thousands more to do. I don't, I don't worry about ever running out doing one story a week. 
I, I know you're also a musician. I'm a musician. I was thinking before we started the discussion today, maybe we should put a little duo together and go around and do happy hours and just sing paranormal songs. Are there enough I, paranormal songs for us to do that? There aren't. And uh, <laughs> one of the funny ones, man, when we did a story about um, uh, Razor Shins in Maine, he's this this uh, this spirit that demands offerings of alcohol from greenhorn loggers uh, who are staying at logging camps, and you're supposed to leave out a jug of whiskey at, at night or Razor Shins will come for you. And it's, he's kind of like this personification of alcohol. And then um, it got us thinking, uh, my co-host is actually a singer. He's in like four different bands. There was a song, it's, it's a, the roots of it go back like 500 years. It's called John Barleycorn Must Die. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Traffic. Traffic made it. Steve Winwood and Traffic did a great version of it, I think like 1971. And it's all about how, um, you know, man's so strong, but uh, at the end of the day, we, we, we grow this barley and we, we, we grind it and we do all this stuff to it and then turn it into alcohol. And alcohol can take down even the strongest of men, right? Like that's the moral of the song. And right. it's this this great tale, and we actually um, we recorded a version of it for for a podcast extra. And um, <laughs> but you're right, there's not enough paranormal songs. I mean, there's some, there's a few out there that have been inspired by you know various legends and lore, but there should be more. There should be. We got we're gonna have to write some. I know you write. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a missing segment of the market for sure. Um, we're out of time, Jeff. Once again, ah. let, let people know where they can get uh, a hold of the podcast. It's weekly. What day it comes out? All that stuff. Thursdays at noon uh, every week. We we haven't missed for two years, and it's uh, you can get it at iTunes and Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, uh, wherever else you get your podcasts. Or you can listen to them on our website, which is ournewenglandlegends.com, or on my website, jeffbelanger.com. Any appearances coming up that you want to let people know about? I will be at um, Boston's Fan Expo Comic-Con this mm-hmm. Friday night on a paranormal panel, Paranormal Boston. Um, that's Friday night at 8. Uh, and then um, I've got a whole story tour that I'm going to be all throughout New England. I'll be in New Jersey. I'll be at um, Michigan's Paracon in, uh, uh, gosh, another yeah. week. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm all over, especially in the fall. So come see me. That's great. And make sure you carve out a day for us in early December so we can talk holiday <laughs> legends again. Sounds good. Jeff, thanks so much for being here. All right. Thanks, JV. So, Orion, have you seen any of that History Channel thing I was talking about earlier? That One of those series? There's like four of them. You know, the men who built America, the cars that built America, food that built America. I don't know. There's a bunch of them. No, I don't, I don't even have TV. Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe you can go to uh, history.com or mm. whatever. The, the, but it, they're, they're really fascinating and kind of inspiring a way to, in a way, too, because it shows how um, American ingenuity and, and um, stick-to-itiveness, I guess, uh, prevailed over some really, really uh, difficult challenges and, and really created the lifestyle that we live today. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like cool. to watch it with my kids. Kind of cool stuff. Um, let's see. Tomorrow night we've got Philip Kraske coming on, author and satirist. We'll be talking about false flag ops and the deep state through the lens of his new book. His book is called Eleven Nine and the Terrorist Who Loved Bonsai Trees. <laughs> <laughs> An interesting title there. Thursday, uh, Natasha Rosewood who will be with us. She's a quantum healer, inspirer of intuitive intelligence, and an author. And she's actually going to, going to help listeners clear their ghosts from their past, whether they're alive or dead. Mm-hmm. So, so 11-9 refers to holding a mirror up to September 11th. Uh, and and I, I don't quite get it. But he's, he's, he's used real events to uh, extrapolate some sort of uh, fiction uh, that is maybe a bit too real. We'll find out tomorrow. All right. It's going to be a great show. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at J.V.J. Paranormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.